0: Thanks Ian for bringing us uh, that reading in all of its glory. I'd love you to keep that passage open if you can, Um, that'd be really helpful. We're going to continue our series tonight, uh, looking at Paul's letter to the church in Rome and uh, as we do that, can I remind you at the start uh, that we'll have Q&A afterwards at the end and I'd love to hear your questions. So if you can be thinking about them on the way through, you might even want to jot them down on your Care and Connect card. Uh, and that would be really helpful. I'm going to pray that God would assist us, and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, thanks that you have enabled this ancient letter to be preserved. Thank you, Father, for the author, Paul, and the co-author, your Holy Spirit. I thank you that the Holy Spirit's here tonight, and I pray that through his presence, you might be challenging and changing us through this word. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I want you to think about your happily ever after. Who wants a happily ever after? Of course, we all do. In fact, uh, anyone who decides that they don't want to put up their hand for a happy ever after, I'm just thinking you haven't thought about it very much. You don't want the alternative to that, really, do you? An unhappily ever after. That, that doesn't seem like a good idea. So uh, two questions to get us started to think about our eternal ever after. And some of you will have heard these questions before, but they're helpful to kind of focus our minds first question is this are you a hundred percent certain that if you were to die tonight that you would be with God in heaven are you a hundred percent certain that you'll go to heaven when you die now there's only really two answers to this okay what are they yes and no very good yes but most people want to smuggle in a third option do you know what the third option is Maybe, that's right, exactly, maybe. A, a bunch of people say, I, 100% certain. Well, I'm not 100% certain, but I can't, or alternatively, not maybe. I'd like to think so, yeah? I'd like to think so. But really, there are only two answers. So what's the maybe or I'd like to think so really? What answer is that? That's right, it's actually a no. So that, that's our first question, and I'd love you to think yourself, What am I 100% certain? Second question is to imagine that we were to stand before the throne of God on judgment day, and he was to say to us, why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I let you into my heaven? And I want you to think about what would you say? What would your answer be if God was to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Now, this answer is going to be what we're going to be exploring tonight. Why is it possible to have 100% certainty It is possible. And what would you say if you were to have 100% certainty? Well, let's imagine some answers. The first group of answers will come from a Jew. Now, I've put the modern Israelite flag up there. They didn't have that flag before, but that puts us on the flag for the people of Israel. So they had grounds for confidence. If you asked an Israelite, a Jew, hey, why do you think you're going to heaven? They would say, I'm going to heaven because I'm descended from Abraham. God made huge promises to Abraham, I'm one of his kids, he's in my family line, he's my great, 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 Abraham's back there somewhere, right? The second reason is because they're Israelites, they're part of God's chosen nation. Hey, we're of God's favourite nation in the whole world, of course we're going to be right with God. Thirdly, they'd say, I have the mark of the covenant in my body, I have circumcision as the, as the sign of, my, of my, uh, my commitment to God's covenant. So I'm going to be included because I'm circumcised. Fourthly, I'm doing pretty well trying to keep God's law. I'm a law-abiding person. See? I should get in. Now, that's the Jewish answer. But you and I aren't Jews, at least the majority of us aren't. If you are, come tell me afterwards. Majority of us are not. We're Australians. What would our answer be? What, what sort of grounds for confidence might we have? Well, well firstly, uh, maybe you could say, I'm descended from someone who went to church. My mum and dad went to church, so that's a good start, isn't it? Or maybe you might have to reach back to your grandparents. My grandparents went to church, so I'm in. Secondly, I'm an Australian. Australia's God's country, so that's got to be pretty good, doesn't it? Thirdly, I have the mark of the census on me. Or in other words, I tick the Christian box in the census, along with 61% of the rest of Australia. I have the mark of the census on me, and I'm doing pretty well, I'm working hard to live a good life, and maybe I'm trying to send my kids to Christian schooling, or if I'm in public schooling, I'm sending them to SRE, which is probably an even gutsier decision, so I really am up there with God. Now, are they good answers? They're not especially compelling, are they? However many people would rest on them, we're going to see a much better way tonight, we saw that Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews, actually have a lot in common. In the sermon I did on God's wrath, we saw, summed up in chapter 3 here, are we any better? Not at all. We've made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Actually, there's a great similarity in human beings. We're all under sin. And then last week, Tony told us there was hope even for the Gentiles, even for people like us. Is God, we see in verse 29 of chapter 3, is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. So there's actually great hope for us. But I think the Jew says, objection your honour, You can't say we're all the same, can you really? Because aren't we still special because we're descended from Abraham, the one who got the first covenant? Aren't we still important in God's sight? And Romans 4 really is written to say how Abraham is included in this plan. Well, let me start by asking you, can can you remember your first paycheck? Yes? Was it a huge amount a little bit? Can you remember it? How do you feel when you get your first paycheck? Super proud, don't you? Whatever amount of money it is, on payday, you think, man. I, in my case, my brother and I delivered, I don't know, 500 papers each. It was 1,000 papers or something ridiculous we had to do. We, we walked around, sore shoulders. But there it was, I think $5.35 or something, I think, was, was, was what we got. For that, right? But man, I'm thinking we are becoming rich, independent human beings because of this payday, right? So you feel proud of your first payday. What's the difference between a payday and a birthday? On the payday, you do something that gives you pride. On the birthday, you receive things you didn't deserve. So on the birthday, you don't say, I deserved all these presents. You don't say that. You're not proud of your birthday. On payday, you never write a thank you note to your boss, do you? But you will write a thank you note on your birthday because you receive a gift you didn't earn. Let's have a look at the Bible and see how that idea might help us in Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say? I'm in verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, Their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. So what what does the Scripture say? The Scripture says this, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now I've called this... No karma accounting. And you might think, what is no karma accounting? Well, how does karma work? If you do good, then what? You get good. And if you do bad, you get... Okay, that's what karma accounting looks like. Here we see that God credits righteousness to those who aren't right. It's not karma accounting. Something else is going on. We are credited... Right standing before God. You and I can be said to be in right standing before God, even though we don't deserve it. That is quite remarkable. And we see here that it's more than a little bit remarkable. It's actually put in these incredible terms here. You see it in verse 5. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Now, you might think to yourself, hang on, how does that actually work? God is justifying the ungodly. In case you didn't know, the ungodly don't deserve to be justified. It's not a good category to be in, but here we see God makes them right. Grace is truly radical. It's an upside-down kingdom that God is running. And to put it as bluntly as I can, and this provoked a little bit of discussion after church uh, in the morning, I want you to know... Bad people go to heaven. Bad people go to heaven. Now that messes with our heads, doesn't it? Because we think only the good go to heaven, but here we see that God justifies the ungodly. Indeed, this is the state of those who are forgiven. Have a look at what it says in verses 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin, the Lord will never count against them. Two things to note, one for the present and one for the future. In the right now, if you ask to be forgiven, God says, your transgressions, same word as sin, they are forgiven and they are covered. Your right now is sorted out, but we also find something else about the future. Have a look what it says. Those who sin, the Lord will Never count against them. It's actually a promise that in the future, you will never have those sins forgiven brought back to you to be held against you. You can know something about the future right now. Assurance lives here. You can't have any other guarantee that you'll be right before God if you're trusting in anything else other than this beautiful forgiveness. This promises us, I'm right now and I will be right in the future. Now, an important illustration needs to be made at this point. Uh, what is Warney doing here? He's appealing. He's very appealing. Lots of people found that. I uh, know, what is he doing? He's asking a question. Sorry? How's that? Exactly. What exactly is he asking? Well, it's very important we understand at this point in church, it's vital that we understand the LBW rule, Okay? All right, so I should. There are some other people here who obviously qualified better than me to do this, but okay, so here's the thing. So, wickets here, this is cricket. If you don't know cricket, you're about to learn a little bit about cricket. Okay, so here's cricket. Uh, we're about to play a shot like this. If we're coming forward and the ball hits us on the pad and it was going on to hit the stumps before my bat gets to it, so pad first, going on to the stumps. If it hits my pad first, then guess what? I am what? Why am I out? That's right. What's it called? Thank you very much. LBW. It's leg before wicket. But what happens if it hits my bat first and then goes under my pad? Safe. You're not out. You're not out. The order matters a lot. Is it leg before bat? Yeah. Well, that's what you need to know. You're not out if the leg doesn't come first. Well, I want to show you by drawing a very long bow how this relates to the Bible. Are you ready? Ready? Let's see if we can work it out. Have a look with me at verses 9 to 12. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still Uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. So here's the interesting thing. I want to tell you a little bit about Abraham's story. In Genesis fifteen we're told fifteen six that Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. In chapter 16 of Genesis, just the next chapter, we're told that Abraham was what age, guys? He was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Don't worry about the details, just remember the number. What's the number? 86. Okay, later on, we're told that there is a child who is born to him who's the fulfillment of the promise. His right standing was declared in chapter 15, and then a child is born. It says, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. What we're told is that circumcision happened when Abraham was how old? When he was 99. So what's the gap between when he was credited with righteousness and his circumcision? It's about 13 years. And so what do we need to know? It's FBC. Faith before circumcision it came first okay it came first faith was more important than circumcision it says this that he received circumcision as a sign a seal of the righteousness that he already had by faith while he was still uncircumcised so he's the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them see circumcision without faith just wrath Nothing good has happened. You might have a mark on your body, but you're not right before God. Alternatively, faith without circumcision, salvation. Now, that doesn't rock your world, family, does it? It doesn't rock your world. But it was a huge deal for the Jews who thought it was absolutely vital. Here we see faith is more important. Now, I want to take you back to my days in Sunday school. It looked a lot like this, I'm sure. No, I used to sit in a very, a, a very dusty old hall, and they used to say, and now we're going to sing, and I go, oh, until I discovered one song. One song changed my whole Sunday school, and that song was Father Abraham. And once I got onto Father Abraham, I was all good. I loved singing because I would say, Father Abraham, have many sons. Anyone know, sing along with me. But it was actions, right? Actions to do, right arm, left arm, right leg, left leg, nod your head, turn around and sing. It was fantastic. And so every time it came singing, they would say, what song do we want to sing today? Yes, Stuart, Father Abraham, every single time. Love, Father Abraham. But if you think about it, how is Father Abraham our song? I mean, isn't it a Jewish song? Wouldn't it be in Jewish Saturday school for their kids? Okay, wouldn't it be their song? How is it our song? We're not descended from Abraham. I'm not a Jew. So how is Father Abraham what we sing in Sunday school or used to anyway? Let's have a think about it. Have a look with me at verses 13 to 17. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing And the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise came by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead, and calls into being things that were not. In the reading we had from Galatians, it says, what I mean is this, Paul's talking to a church in Galatia, they have Jews and Gentiles in them, they have the same problem. Here's what he says, what I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Here's what it means. There's a 430 year gap between Abraham trusting God and being counted as righteous by faith and when the law comes. So it's going to make appealing to the law as the way we're right with God as tricky. In fact, this is a case of FBL. Faith before law. You won't get right with God by obeying the law. Faith came first. It was not through the law, Paul says in Romans 4, that Abraham and his his offspring received the promise. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there's no transgression. Here's the point. Law brings wrath, not salvation. You might say, hey, I'm a law-abiding Jew. God must love me. And Paul says, no. What the law does instead is condemn you. You're in big trouble. How does that work? Have you guys seen me do a thing with the Ten Commandments? One of the Ten Commandments is, children, obey your parents. Yeah? Who doesn't love that one? Who would say here that they've kept it, that they've kept it flawlessly? Who would say, I've never... we put your hands down. You just committed one of the other Ten Commandments, which is do not lie. So now we've only picked two commandments, and you failed at the obey your parents one, and you just lied by saying you didn't. Guys, if we go through the Ten Commandments, you and I will find that we are naught and ten. When we look at the law of God, we fail. And in the Old Testament, there were 613 laws. By trying to say I'm good by obeying the law, all of us will be condemned. The law doesn't make us right, it puts us under the wrath of God. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, it says in verse 16, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who have the law, but to those who have the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. See, what happens then? We see grace and faith, beautiful, a gift, your birthday just came, you got forgiveness from God, by faith, and I get to keep my soul, because he's the father of us all, all who believe. Now, uh, there was a promise made in uh, 1984, Arnie said, I'll be back, and guess what? He kept his promise, and it didn't work out for anybody that he kept his promise for, but he was back. In uh, 2015, a certain president said, I will build a wall, and Mexico will pay for it. And thus far, that hasn't worked out very well, has it? See, the really interesting thing about promises is, it depends entirely on the trustworthiness of the promise giver. Can you trust them? Let's have a look at the verses that follow in verses 18 to 21. Against all hope... Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. You see, Abraham's faith required something extraordinary. He had to believe in what I've called a nursing home miracle. He was about 100 years old and God had said, you will have a child. And his wife, Sarah, was almost that same age. So what we're saying is, these relatively old and crusties are about to have a child. Now, that is unlikely in the extreme, right? But Abraham doesn't doubt. He trusts God because he believes that God is able to do what he has promised. It doesn't look to himself. If Abraham had looked to himself and go, can I have a child? He would have been totally wiped out. Instead, he turned his attention to God who made the promise and believed that God is able to do immeasurably more than all he asked or imagined. Where did he turn? To God. And he found in God one who was fully persuaded, could do what he had promised. That's what faith looks like. Being fully persuaded in the power of the Promiser. Now, I've asked some of you guys before if you play Monopoly, is that right? And it's a great game because it always ends up with the board turned over and the family fighting each other, doesn't it? If you play it, you can come across this card. A bank error in your favour, collect $200. What a wonderful little uh, community chest uh, outcome that is. And then you take the $200 and you put them under the board next to your sneaky $500. Is that right? That you've got hidden away for a rainy day. Is that right? No, okay, you don't do that. But here's the thing what's happened is you've got credited to your account something you didn't earn. Bank error in your favor, collect $200. Incidentally, can I just tell you on the side, because I preach this, this is my third time I'm preaching today. When I was reading this last night, this is totally on the side. When I was reading this last night, they actually said, if a bank makes an error in your favour, don't keep it. It's illegal. You'll have to return it. Okay, all right. In, in Monopoly, you get to have it credited to your account, which is fantastic. Have a look what God credits to our account in verses 23 to 25. The words, it was credited to him, were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. You see God's going to credit right standing to us. It says actually that this word wasn't just written for him, but for us who believe in him. And this is exciting because it means the Old Testament speaks to us today. You can keep your Old Testaments. That's pretty good. And what did Jesus do? Well, it says here that he was delivered over, in verse 25, he was delivered over to death for our sins. Why does that matter? Jesus' death on the cross achieves two things for us, at least two things. Propitiation and atonement. And you're like, come on, it's Sunday night. Very quickly, here we go, okay? Propitiation. My sin deserved the wrath of God. I deserve to stand under the wrath of God for my sin. Propitiation is this, it's the turning aside of the wrath of God from me to Jesus. So the wrath of God comes on Jesus, not me. That's propitiation. Atonement, I am made at one with God because the price for my sin is paid. I not only deserve the wrath of God, but to die for my sin. Jesus dies in my place so I can be at one with God. Propitiation? at one-ment. Pretty good. That's what Jesus' death has done. But it says, did Jesus stay dead? Kids, did Jesus stay dead? The answer is no, he did not. He came alive again. And the second part, it says here, he was raised to life for our justification. What does that mean? Jesus didn't stay dead. He came alive again. He now stands at the right hand of his Father in heaven, where he's able to say, that one's mine. That one's mine. My blood covered this one. I have this one as my child. Jesus was raised for our justification. What that means is, because he is standing, you are in right standing before God. What a beautiful promise is made to us. Well, let's revisit the evidence. I've been saying faith is the way that you can be 100% certain. It's faith that is the reason we can be certain. Here's four reasons from what we've seen tonight. Number one, Righteousness is credited, not earned. You will not get to be proud before God. He will count it to your account by faith. Secondly, faith came before circumcision. Thirteen years before. You can't say you're right because you got the mark of the covenant. That doesn't work. You can't say that you obey the law and that's how you're right with God because the law came 430 years later. Faith came before the law. Faith, the faith that saves, is the faith that trusts in the power of the promiser. And God's faithful, he will do it. So when I want to ask you tonight are you looking to works? When I said to you, you would stand before God and he was to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Would you have said something other than Jesus? Did, did you think, well, I'm a churchgoer? Amen, I come on, it's winter it's freezing cold outside, I'm sitting in this building tonight, God better give me some credit for that. Maybe. Maybe you just went with the, I'm an Australian. Come on, you've got to love me, God. Everyone loves the Australians. It's great. Maybe you said, look, I'm a census ticker and that must count for something. Or or maybe you said, I'm making a good effort with my kids. They're in SRE or or in a Christian school. Come on, God. I, I don't think many of you would have looked to those things. But I think it is possible that you might have looked to yourself in some way. I'm not as bad as them. I'm not as bad as them. I'm not not worse than those people. I'm making my best effort, God, to have a break. Give me a chance. Where are we looking? The problem with trying to be good enough for God is that works work wrath. Anything that puffs you up with pride and says, I deserve to get in, God says, will not count, will not get you in, will not pass go, will not collect eternal life. Instead, what I want to tell you tonight, because many of you will be able to say, I'm actually trusting in Jesus for real. Jesus is my answer. And what I want to say to you is, do you treasure this truth? Have a look at verses 7 and 8 again. They will tell you, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Do you treasure that? Even better, do you personally cling to love, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Are you secure in that future verdict for tonight? You see, who would remind us of our sins? Who would remind us of our sins? Who? Satan would remind us of our sins, or a spouse or a friend who doesn't, no, no, forget them. Satan is the one who will remind us of our sins. And God says, I'm sorry, I don't have anything under that name. The only one who will remind you of your sins is Satan. And what I want you to do is to see if you can remind yourself of this truth when he comes knocking, when he undermines your confidence and your assurance. Will you remember this truth? My sins are covered and my future is assured. Faith for our forgiveness looks only to Jesus our justification. That's the only way You can have a path to 100% certainty. I'm going to pray that you and I might know faith is the answer and Jesus is the supplier of our hope. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for the wonderful work of Jesus. Better than law, better than marks on our body, better than the efforts of our hands. We thank you that in Jesus alone, we can find great security, great hope, great assurance that we're washed, that we're covered, and that we will stand before you without shame. Help us to treasure this great truth we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there you go. That's, uh, that's faith front and center from Romans chapter 4. Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. Do we have any questions? Hi. Um, So, 13 years before Abraham was circumcised, he had Ishmael. Yes. Wasn't that a lack of faith? Because that was him taking it on himself to... Um, to fulfill God's promise to have a nation and people yeah yeah great question so the question is hey uh, didn't Abraham have another child that wasn't with Sarah and isn't that showing a lack of faith yeah Um, I think the initiative if I remember my Genesis properly I think the initiative for that came through who came through Sarah sorry I want to I want to say that's absolutely true here's the thing. I think Sarah said to him, this isn't working out very well. This promise of God is taking too long. We could short-circuit this whole thing. Take Hagar, and we can have a child through her. That'll work out perfectly. Now, I think Abraham did, in fact, say yes, Joyce. I'm not getting him off the hook here. However, However, I think we would say that Abraham, in the end, was able to acknowledge this hasn't actually solved the problem. We haven't actually got the child of God's promise here. What we have is a child that's now causing my marriage difficulties. And so he is still waiting in the end for the, the child of promise to come. Uh, would we say that he wavered? He had a lot of years trying to trust God. Uh, if we grant him a little bit of wavering, probably I would have bailed out a long time before that. So, but it's a good pickup, Joy. I think they're trying to cheat the time that God's promise took I don't think it covers them in glory. But in the end, he hangs in there and is rewarded. So great question. Yeah. Someone else? Question? Yeah, over here. Go. I know the, the theme has been about faith. Yes. But Yeah, but you've got another question. That's perfectly it, fine. Go in, for it. In verse 17, yes. um, it refers to God who gives life to the dead. Yes. Who are the dead? Yeah, that's fantastic. I I would love to have preached this. I had too many other things to say. Um, I think what happens here, um, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not, the very next thing that he talks about is the deadness of Sarah and Abraham's bodies, and he brings life to the dead. So I, I actually think what we're seeing here is the first life to the dead is Abraham and Sarah's body producing a life, when they were physiologically not able to. So that's life from the dead. But gives life to the dead could also be he brings alive the spiritually dead. So we're told in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are dead in sins and transgressions. And then it says later in Ephesians chapter 2 that God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. Now you and I, were alive even when we were spiritually dead. And God has brought us alive for the first time in Christ And so my answer would be both those things. I think, first and foremost, Abraham producing a child with Sarah. And secondly, that he brings the spiritually dead alive. Does that make sense? Yeah, great. Good question. Thank you for asking. Is there another one? Oh, yes. Yes. Next door. Yes, go. Yeah, please. Uh, Why faith? Uh, Why not something else, say, (laughs) like um, tying your shoelaces? So why doesn't God just say... Uh, anyone who can tie their shoelaces will be credited with righteousness. What, what, what is it that, what is the, why is it only that faith thing? That is such a beautiful question. Thank you for asking me. Um, I, I think that's right, isn't it? Couldn't God have arbitrarily chosen shoelace tying as the way to get to glory? Yes, he could have. Why did he choose faith? Because the central reason that we were created is to give glory and honour to God that we would delight. The chief end of God, says the Westminster Confession, does anyone know? The chief end of God is to love God and enjoy Him forever. Have you guys heard this before? Oh, this is, I think this is a beautiful statement. The chief end of man, people, is to love God and enjoy Him forever. So, what does the Creator of the universe want from all of His people? That they would delight in Him. And so, faith is seeing God for who He is, and putting our whole lives into His hands for salvation. And so faith, then, is the very best expression of the desire of God to have people treasure Him most. Does that make sense? So it's not an arbitrary choice. It's actually, it focuses in on what is ultimate for God, which is that we would delight in Him. Great question, though. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Uh, Another question? Darren? Darren? You're talking about um, faith before circumcision. Yes. Um, in Colossians 2, we read that um, we became circumcised through faith in Jesus. Yeah. So we, so we had that too, is that right? Yeah, that's really good. Um, so uh, in the Old Testament, it'll say, that's really good. So uh, we became circumcised in Jesus, is that what you're saying from Colossians 2? Here's here's what, what God says, he actually says in the Old Testament that circumcision that is really great isn't of the flesh, but of the heart. So the thing is, when our heart is focused on God, God puts the mark of the covenant on our hearts, which is a mark of faith, essentially. So that's great, mate. Yeah. So in Christ, we have been circumcised, not physically, but in our hearts. It's great. No, really helpful, Darren. So we add that into our picture. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, one more question. How do you respond to people who, when they hear this sort of message, um, say, that means I can do whatever I like because I'm covered once for all and it doesn't get yeah, taken so, away? Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Kate. So isn't the question, hey, we're saved by grace. Well, the next thing I can do is go, well, Cool. I'll do whatever I want. Isn't this just a license for sin? I think that's an excellent question. In fact, I received it this morning after I preached the message. Hey, isn't this just a license for sin? And the answer to that was, how was it that you were forgiven? What had to happen for you and I to be forgiven? It's behind me. Here's the the prop. What had to happen for me to be forgiven? Jesus had to die for me for have my sin forgiven. So if I love Jesus and I'm thankful for his sacrificial death death on the cross and I'm saved by grace, not because I earned or deserved it, my next logical step would be, how about I go and sin a lot? doesn't follow, does it? If I've truly seen that Jesus died for my sin, my next thought is to run away from sin, isn't it? my terrible sin caused this grief to the Son of God. I killed Jesus. Why would I sin anymore? So the joy of grace should lead us in thankfulness that points us to holiness, not to sin. Yeah? Fantastic. I'm going to sit down. Uh, come find me at morning tea at, t- at supper if you've, got, uh, if you've got more questions. Thanks, Michael.